This is a podcast from The Times. Go to thetimes.co.uk. Hello, I'm Gabriel Marcotti, and welcome to The Game Podcast, here for another review of the weekend's events. And it was a sobering weekend as well. Later on, we'll be discussing Fabrice Mwamba and the traumatic events at White Hart Lane. But first... Liverpool and Stoke in the uh, in, in the FA Cup. Um, I want to start with you, Dicko, because um, Stuart Downing scored finally, uh, and not just once, but twice. How about that? Uh, how about that? Um, I was just um, thinking. I mean, I, was, I don't know what you thought of the uh, the little one-two with Gerard looked uh, slightly accidental, but that shouldn't take away from a nice, um, very nice finish. Uh, Danny Downing, he's strange one. When he was first coming playing um, internationally, he looked completely out of his depth. And, and um, I spoke to a few people, and they said that he was he, he was one of the classic guys who was afraid of the shirt, um, and that raised questions about his sort of big game temperament. Um, and I was. I thought that Liverpool were taking a bit of a punt with him. Um, the evidence since then has been pretty mixed. I mean, he, he went through a long period lacking in confidence. Um, uh, and yet, bizarrely, has actually started playing a bit better in an England shirt, a bit more confidently. So there's a pretty mixed bag of, of, of evidence um, to, to sift through there. And, um, you know, I, I think I personally think he's a competent, a highly competent um, Premiership player and an England squad member at best. Um, but, you know, a decent positive sign yesterday, that's for sure. Lansley, you, you, you saw him up close for, uh, for, for quite a while. Um... Yeah, he had, a, he had a great second season. First season when he was coming back from his, um, I think he had a broken ankle, didn't he? And um, he didn't really get flowing. But after the, he'd had a full pre-season, that second season when Villa were just on the wane, but still had Ashley Young and him, he had a fantastic season. He, and he worked so hard. I agree with Matt because in a team that was just, you know, battling to try and get, you know, somewhere between sixth and tenth, he was excellent. But um, but possibly not not when you go on to the international stage. Well, forget the international stage, Ben. They keep talking about this international stage thing because, of course, Dicko and, and Lansley are big England fans. But um, if Tony Evans were here, he wouldn't care about that. He just want to know, is he good enough for, for Liverpool? <laughs> Until the last few months, I don't, I don't think he has been good enough for Liverpool. But he, now he plays a good game and you change your mind. No, no, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. Um, he hadn't created or scored a goal until very recently. He, he started to show signs after Christmas that he was finding his feet. Played pretty well in the Carling Cup final. Uh, and since then, a start to look a lot more confident and uh, you know he has the natural attributes I think he's, he's surprisingly quick he's uh, he can deliver a good cross and, and he's surprisingly quick for a slow player yeah well, that's it you know he, <laughs> okay. he's not he is not Walcott but he can uh, he can surprise defenders and I think he's starting to look like he um, he might be you know not justifying that price tag but certainly going some way towards it I look at I mean Adam Johnson should be should be a better footballer um, and to be honest I think if I mean Mancini's clearly been frustrated by him and his his application, but uh, you know, I look at I look at what Adam Johnson should have, and I, I I see I see a considerably better football player than Stuart Downing. But equally, you know, consistency of delivery um, is uh, is as, is as important as, as talent. But Matt, isn't Adam Johnson just a very good beach player? I mean, he knows how to you know beating people and a beach player. Is that what you said, Lansley? <laughs> yeah. As in, like playing on the beach? Yeah. Have you not Do- heard that phrase? 
I not from somebody in the Midlands. I didn't know there were <laughs> beaches there. <laughs> Seriously, do, do, do you guys play in the beaches on this country? Garthington Water. We've got a lot of sand on the edges there. We've had quite a big drought, but um, yeah, um, I think it, Adam Johnson. I'm, I'm not sure in you know in top top class terms that he is better than someone who's very good at dribbling and cutting inside and looking for a shot. I, I think he plays for himself too much. Okay, let's, let's move this on from the uh, Johnson Downing debate. Or we could expand it out to uh, James Morrison and just uh, maintain the uh, uh, discussion of uh, uh, Middlesbrough-produced wingers. But um, And we'll get to, to, to Doug Leach and Stoke in a minute. I just want to uh, just, just jump in on something um, Luis Suarez said, where, where he said that he's going to stay at Liverpool um, despite uh, suffering. Now, is this something where we in the childish media uh, take... Uh, his statement entirely out of context and mock him and how much suffering could you be doing with your money and blah 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 and you're kind of responsible for your own lot in life because you could have just said nothing at all to Patrice Ever and then uh, none of this would have happened and um, and you could have not given the, the finger to uh, Fulham fans or do you have any sympathy for his suffering Ben? Um, suffering and probably not suffering I think I think from his point of view he still feels as many inside Liverpool do that he did nothing wrong we know that Um, now as a player I think for the rights or wrongs of that which everyone knows my view on that um, I think that he has been obviously felt made to feel very uh, loved whether that's right or wrong he has and Liverpool have all along said there is no intention there for them to sell this player and clearly Suarez has felt that you know a, a debt of loyalty and gratitude for the way he has been treated you know outside of Liverpool that's a very different situation but I think for now he, he is staying I think um, if he can get back to, to playing the game you know and concentrating on football and keeping his mouth shut and, and behaving and, and, and doing what he does best then we're in for a treat if he can't, then... Don't you find it staggering? I mean, you know, as journalists, we want people to gas off all the time about all, all sorts of things, and especially the controversial things, but I just find it staggering that Liverpool have not basically put a blanket yeah, ban on anyone yeah. even straying near this territory. I mean, Glenn Johnson did that interview um, in a paper, I can't bring myself to mention recently, but it was a, a, a very fine interview it was, but I was staggered that you know he was just you know, talking um, freely and ridiculously defensively and, and, and provocatively about that whole subject again. Here we have Suarez straying into that territory again. I just, I, I'm just amazed that you know, there's not a memo gone out around uh, you know, Anfield just basically saying the next employee talks about this will be fired. I, th- I think why? Well, sorry, but, but Dick, uh, you, you find it staggering, but I mean, if, if the club's line is, is that and they genuinely... Well, no, because the club's... The short, I, thought, I thought we'd re- just about reached the point where the club accepted that um, they were not going to, you know, whatever stance they, whatever trench they had dug for themselves, that they were not going to persuade anyone else out there that 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 um, uh, you know had already decided that, that that they were in the wrong and that Suarez was in the wrong. That they would have just come to the practical PR decision that um, they were they were waste not only wasting their breath but just continuing to antagonise. But, but one thing we should say is the club didn't know about the Johnson interview that was done without their permission. Um, it was done while he was on England duty, I believe. And this late is the latest Suarez comments have come from a newspaper in Montevideo, I think. As base, yes. Right. So I agree. I think they should. Yeah, they, they should, should be telling everyone. Look, they should be. Look. Yeah. Yeah. Let's just not talk about it. Well, that's one they way to handle it. No. Told him, chaps. Haven't they almost told Suarez he's beyond the law? Because of how much they've defended him, 
And, you know, even after the eight-game ban, it took so long for anything approaching a genuine apology to come out that they've told him everything you've done is okay. Therefore, if he's away in Uruguay and he wants to give a newspaper interview, he knows he's, he's safe. Well, but, you know, it's also... I mean, I, I take your point, and obviously we don't want to go and, and, and rehash the, this issue, because um, otherwise we'll never get out of it, but I, I, I think Dicko made a good point about the club PR perspective. By the same token, you know, uh, a club is not a cult, um, even though Liverpool sometimes feels that way. Um, they're, they're employers, and you can kind of see how Luis Suarez speaking to people from his own country where I think a lot of people have interpreted this situation very differently, you know, might want to speak his mind freely in the same way Glenn Johnson speaking to a, to a journalist he's particularly close to, you know, might want to come out and, and do that. And that, you know, you could make the point that even within Liverpool, this is our official club line. We don't really want people to talk about it, but we're not going to treat you like children. I mean, well, yeah, we're treating it's treating a couple like that children. Um, the uh, some of them, some of them need it. But if uh, no, I just see. Look, it's it's you know, it's 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 not the hugest deal. I just you know, the, the, every week and I open a paper and see a, a Liverpool player talking about Suarez. I just think you know, is some is someone there not um, you know, and PR you know, PR is not the most important thing in the world, but you know, it matters. It plays a little part. And um, if I were Liverpool and and uh, the top of that organization i would be sending out some pretty stiff memos saying you know let's move on well let's uh, uh let's move on to somebody who is at or near the top of uh, liverpool organization that's uh that's kenny dalglish you know um if i may digress into um my own experience uh, this weekend i had a, a rather curious twitter experience where um i i was i sort of went all bill edgar and i was curious to see how Daglish had done um, compared to previous Liverpool managers, um, most of whom I think have you know ranged from the terrible to the to the above to the well above average, perhaps. Um, and I just looked at the number of, uh, of of wins, draws, and losses, and points accrued in in their first 44 matches in charge as manager, because Daglish has been in charge for 44 league games, uh, I should say, the first 44 league games, uh, plus two where he was interim manager. And what I found out is that, bizarrely, he actually has a higher points total than any of the guys before him. So Rafa Benitez, Gerard Houllier, uh, Graham Souness, uh, and Roy Evans. Uh, the last guy to do better than Doug Leash was, well, Doug Leash the first time around. Um, and you weighed that up, and you weighed that up against the, the League Cup, and, and possibly now they're in good position, I think, now in, in the FA Cup. And... This caused a whole storm on Twitter with, you know, the Douglas haters saying like, oh, why are you sucking up to him and blah, blah, blah. I'm like, I'm not. These are just these are just numbers, right? We can go and debate his spending and whatever else. But based on the results and leaving the spending aside for a second, uh, and, and I think the spending hasn't been great, um, are you on board with that, Dicko, that, you know, he's actually pretty good at coaching the team and, and getting results? Or... Because people say, like, oh, look, but he spent all this money. Yeah, but you would argue that the guys he bought aren't what have made Liverpool good this season. It's, in fact, apart from Suarez and maybe uh, Jose Enrique, they've all been pretty pish. Uh, well, there was, there was an upswing caused by a few things, wasn't there? I mean, in the same way that, you know, Dimitri, you know it's a long, it's a, clearly a different situation from Dimitri, but there was just the, the, the bounce um, from getting rid of Hodgson, 
from the whole you know unifying experience which you know these things seem to seem to be sort of an even more powerful force at somewhere like Liverpool and somewhere like Anfield than anywhere else is coming out of Hicks Gillette so there was just you know Doug Leash was this messianic appointment and that part of it you know undoubtedly sort of you know was a, a sort of powerful wave that you know doesn't doesn't fix everything but certainly fixed an awful lot of things I, I think you have to you have to say that the club's in a far better position than it was when Roy Hodgson was there. You know, I think a few results here and there at home this season, you look at the home record, it's appalling and there's huge room for improvement there. I don't think there's a huge amount to be done to improve that. But if, if they were to have turned three or four of those draws into victories, then we'd be talking about an extremely good season here. They'd be round about fourth, possibly even third, you know, into an FA Cup semi-final, one trophy in the bag. That that's a really, really good season. This is a, this oh, it's a is, decent season. Yeah. It? yeah, but I think that yeah, mistakes are you know, and so generally, generally, it's a sort of you know, I don't know, seven seven out of ten. If they win two cups, you you start lifting it. But you know, there have been some slightly erratic team selections. I thought at different times, back threes picked when I couldn't quite couldn't quite understand it. Um, issues issues with attack and fluency. Um, and as Gab said, some of the signings have, have definitely not not proved anything like value for money yet. But yeah, I mean, look, it's a it's a genuinely upwardly mobile story. There's no there's no two ways about that. Of course, we it's, could just blame all the bad timings on uh, on Damien Kamali, uh, but we won't because uh, we know better. Uh, Lansley, um, I want to I want to just get get you on on Stoke because um, it's. It's another season where you know I think they've had mid-table tranquility, despite obviously the um, the Europa League taking something out of them. Although I think they do have a pretty big squad. Mm. Um, I know something interesting. I was just looking at their unused subs against Liverpool, and it's Kenwin Jones, Matthew Upson, and Wilson Palacios. Who I was thinking out loud of how much Kenwin Jones cost, how much uh, Palacios cost um, you know, Spurs when they originally signed him, um, and obviously Upson, who was uh, starting centre-half for, for England in a couple World Cup games. Um, is this a sign that they've got tremendous depth or that you know maybe sometimes Tony Pulis actually does better with when he spends less money and uh, targets his players than when he goes for like bigger names? Mm, it's, it, I think it's taken... It's a hell of a lot of handling this season, but I think they're going to come out of it with a great deal of credit. There is that added depth to the squad, and with that has come the the man management challenge of of keeping people happy, because I think Poole is a bit like um, uh, some other managers I could think of. of, He likes to have a pretty regular starting 11 or you know 13 or whatever so if he can keep Jermaine Pennant happy when he's in and out of the team if he can keep Matthew Upson happy that's going to be a you know continued challenge for him but you know here's another cup quarter final they've had a, a really good Europa League uh, run you know that's lifted everything about them the crowds are fantastic at Stoke I don't know when you guys have last had the chance to go to the Britannia but they are just so up nearly all the time they're still really appreciating what they've got there so if they can come out of this season, they will avoid qualifying for Europe now, of course. Then, you know, you could really see them pushing for somewhere between 6th and 10th next season. They could be the new Aston Villa. Right, let's move on to uh, Molyneux, uh, which I know will make uh, uh, Lansley uh, very happy. Um, but let's start with uh, with the bad news first. Um, 
I watched those pictures on TV. I guess it was after the last game of all the, the angry Wolves fans saying, you know, Morgan, show your face, blah, blah, blah. Can you explain? Are, are, they, are they angry because Mick is gone? Are they angry because they didn't appoint the guy they wanted? Are they angry because they don't like Terry Connor? And all these people said that Terry Connor was actually, oh, what if, you know, after he, I guess he did well in his first game, said, whoa, what? No, but he's really clever and he's very good and continuity and all this jazz. What do the fans want Morgan to do? Well, they wanted him to have a plan B, Gab, basically. When, um, if McCarthy's time was up, and there's a debate to be had, um, then they wanted to know that in that fortnight's international break, or fortnight without a game for Wolves, sorry, um, that he knew what he was doing. And so when, I'm afraid, a knee-jerk reaction, and if you've just lost 5-1 at home to West Bromwich Albion, your nearest, you know, fiercest rival, then... You're it's understandable, to, yeah. You're, you can jerk the odd knee. But if you're going to... I'm sorry, it's a business, isn't it? You sound people out. There were people out there who, whether you rate them or not, were not employed by the clubs. You wouldn't have been doing an, anything unethical to go and chat things through with them. Look, guys, what do you think? Take it to the end of the you're season. Talking about curb, but the penalties, those people were Kerbishly and Bruce. So you can see why... You know, if you go with those people and one of them wants like a 12-year contract and the other one wants two million pounds a year after screwing up Sunderland, yeah, maybe maybe he said, well, I am playing I am playing devil's advocate here, but what is so wrong for Morgan to do what, well, to do what Chelsea did with Robbie DiMatteo and say, hey, here's a guy who's a clever assistant. You know, we, Mick McCarthy's gone, but we're looking really for a bounce. We don't want a total overhaul now. If Connor stinks and we go down, then I ditch him at the end of the season. It's not going to cost me too much. And then maybe in the summer, there'll be more and better players uh, and better managers available rather than having to, to turn to, to, to these guys who are out of work for a reason. I mean, I think, I think when you mention the word cost there, I think that would and rightly so, you know, it might be cheaper to have these changes, then that does rile Wolves fans. And they're thinking, if you're doing this because you're doing it on the cheap, then for goodness sake, how hard was it getting back into the Premiership to go and throw it away? Well, it, might be quite, it might be quite expensive to go down as well. I mean, if exactly. you're thinking of saving money, then, you know, going down isn't probably the way to do it, I think. I mean, it's been a balls up from the start. I just think, you know, you look at it now and you think, who, who would do a better job of keeping Wolves up? Would it be Mick McCarthy or his assistant Terry Connor? I think there's an easy answer to be made there. I mean, I'm not... There, I, there, no, I thought that at the time. I thought, why we're not, that? we're not Wolves players, right? So we're not at training. Yeah, yeah, sure. And we don't know what Mick McCarthy does and what Terry Connors yeah. is. So we have a situation where we can judge Mick McCarthy's body of work, his games, and so on. Yeah. But we can't judge what. You know, I, I, I would presume Morgan was there, was watching them train, and said like, "Oh, look, Connor's doing all these wonderful things." And I think you don't think so. I think that's. <laughs> I think knowing the little I do about Steve Morgan, I think that's very unlikely. I think this was an emotional decision based on a couple of weeks of, of runs, and, and and although a lot of people were saying get him out after this five-one thing, there, there was a, a you know, we had a debate at the time, and Pete, you said they need a new voice. So who do you bring in? You bring the guy who you hear on the training ground for the last six months. Is that a new voice? No, and, I, and this doesn't surprise me. Unfortunately, Morgan deserves. What he's got, as far as I'm concerned. And Gab, the other thing is, Mick McCarthy for five years has got an average bunch of players just to go and perform at the old 110%. So if you're going to get another guy in, for example, if you'd got Kirbishly in, who was Morgan's favourite from day one, probably despite the you know years out of the game, was probably the most appropriate one of who was available. Would he have managed to get Stephen Ward to run the, the 15 kilometres a game and to, you know, put heart and soul into the blocks and everything? I don't think so. Well, sorry, it, it well, sorry, 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 sorry,
is it so difficult to persuade him? I mean, we're talking about Stephen Ward here. We're not talking about Riquelme or, 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 or Gaza, right? Is it so hard to go and tell him, hey, Stephen Ward, you're really not that good. If you want to start for me and contribute, you have to run 15K a game. It sounds like the Tony Evans School of Management. If you no, no, start, but I'm telling t- him he's not that good. Then. <laughs> but, but, no, but you know what I'm saying? Like, I, I, you, you bring up Stephen Ward. Is it really that difficult to get Stephen Ward to perform? No. Dad, we're being simplistic here. It's talking about getting a team unit of average players to overperform. And are they that average when you look at the money that they've spent and, and, and the quality of, of the squad? I mean, they added O'Hara and, and Johnson this summer. And O'Hara's been, been injured and Johnson's been bad, but um, or, or not as good as, as, as they thought he was. But if you look the last couple of years, it's not like they've been the lowest spenders and had the lowest wage bill in the Premier League, is it? No, it isn't. And they spent $18 million the summer before last. But what does that buy you? That's half your Premiership money per season nowadays. So that's not such a... Premiership terms, I say Wolves have got an average set of players. And Wolves fans would be proud to say that. It'd be great. And they'd be delighted if Wolves were tense. But McCarthy got them overachieving. It isn't easy to do that, to get that cohesiveness from a team. Considering considering he'd done that pretty consistently, the thing that shocked me was how quickly into the season the fans turned. I mean, you know, as Pete says, when you start losing 5-1 at home to to West Brom, you know, you can understand a certain degree of fan uh, angst. But actually, they were they were they were booing when things were not looking that bad early in the season. Um, when you know there was a, clearly a, a bad start, but you know this is a guy who'd done a, a, a pretty solid job for the club. And I say I, I just I just thought the fans turned on him far too quickly, and that that must have got Morgan jumpy, and and mm. and it sort of unravelled from there. But I, you know, I thought those those fans who were turning on on Mick, you know, we're talking months months and months ago. Um, I think should be feeling pretty stupid to be honest. All right, let's talk some Manchester United now because. Because uh, um, of course, there's there's a lot of United fans uh, out there, as we're often reminded. Um, to me, it looked like they didn't really break a sweat uh, in this game. Obviously, helped by uh, by Zubar's uh, sending off. But I kind of feel that had he been on the pitch, it really wouldn't have changed so much. It, my impression here, Dicko, is that when United win big, we need to find a reason why. And, and people are like, "Oh, look, Valencia's back." Oh, how key it is for him to be back. Now, Valencia's a very good player, but I kind of feel that the I thought there were two key players for United this season, Rooney and Vidic, and shows you what I know because Vidic gets hurt and they don't really miss a beat, at least domestically. Um, is Valencia key or is he just another option for a manager who's got a tremendous amount of options and, and likes to mix and match and interchange and and really, you know, he he's just gives you a slightly different dimension, but it's not like he's going to go out and start every single game now. Well, I, I mean, I wouldn't judge on just on yesterday because that was flattering. I mean, you, you or I could have looked um, looked pretty classy against um, some of that Wolves. Well, thank you. The, um, <laughs> the, oh, actually, no, I could have anyway. But no, the, um, the I have to say that I think Valencia's been been excellent in pretty much most of the games I've seen him in since he's, since he's come back, and I, I think he's. Um, you know, he's, he's actually sort of. There have been times when he thought, "Wow, you know, what an absence he was." And and you know, the versatility. He's been dropping back the right back as well at times. Um, no, and he's he's he. I wasn't actually sure when when Fergie first bought him whether he was worth the money. And uh, I, I think he's 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 proved he's proved he is. Um, so no, I, you know, I think you know, was the, was nine out of ten against Wolves flattering? Yes, but is he is he a very good player and very important for United? Um, Certainly, and I think he's he's got a consistent. He's you know we talked earlier about consistency of performance. He's got it at the moment. All right. So if he's 
Well, would you say he's an automatic choice, a la oh, no, Rooney? On the, on the games I've seen this season, he's uh, yeah. In terms of wings, so, he's he's because young. I mean, young young now is back as well. I, I mean, they, they strike me as the as the obvious balance at the moment. Uh, in terms, of, you know, young had that. You know, went on for two or three months where he seemed to just sort of lose his way a well, bit. But he he seems to be coming back. Because because Ben, this is what I find fascinating uh, about United is that when when. So many people talk about settled lineups and chemistry and whatever. And I've gone about this about Ferguson is that, you know, we he's just such a dominating figure that we forget little details that really make him different and uh, perhaps special. And one of them is they really don't have a settled lineup. Um, they, they, he mixes and matches. And, and if you're going to say Valencia is an automatic choice, and I assume you would consider Rooney as an automatic choice, and probably right now Carrick is an automatic choice, there aren't that many other places to go around, and you know, is it is it Chicharito or is it Welbeck? Is it um, is it Young or or Nani who will be back at some point, or, or Park, or you know, Skulls when he's there, but maybe he doesn't play every week. It's pretty remarkable and pretty unlike everybody else. He's, he is uh, he is brilliant at it at, at balancing. Uh, at, at rotating his squad in such a way that it doesn't feel like he's a, a tinker man it's never been something he's labelled with but he, do, he does it brilliantly and he keeps the players happy everyone knows they'll get a chance and when they do they have to impress otherwise the likelihood is they'll go and even if they do impress them, they may well find themselves on the bench the next game he has done it consistently over the years better than any other manager he knows when to play a player and when to drop them and when to leave them out and when to give them a go and, it, and he's he more than ever this season has been a huge huge factor behind why you know are where they are I mean I just can't believe any other manager would have taken a squad that hasn't really played anywhere near its best all season and kept it right in there not just kept it right in there but overhauled a, a, a club that was flying like City fair enough they're not anymore but the, he's, he's the fantastic the centre midfield is still the issue that we keep coming yeah back, I agree with and, you and, yeah. and, and, yeah, I, I, mean, I got bombarded on Twitter recently when talking about England options and Carrick didn't get a mention I mean I wouldn't have Carrick in my England squad um, for the Euros and yet you know an awful lot of Man U fans think he should be you know one of the players of the season you know not just not just for them, but uh, across uh, you know across the whole bloody country. So um, he, Carrick will continue to divide and polarise. And you know, if he ends up with yet another league championship medal, then um, that will be held up as evidence of you know what a fantastic and overlooked player he is. But I'm afraid I'm you know not a fan. To, to, to think he's overrun um, far too easily. I think he plays great in games like um, you know when you're five nil up against Wolves can't stem or turn the tide um, in other games looks you know uh, and doesn't look enough to make the quick incisive decisive pass so um, but you know Carrick um, is, is still at the heart of a team that does not have a good enough central midfield and perhaps that'll be something that uh, uh, they'll look to address in the summer Moving on now to uh, this week, um, I think we all witnessed some uh, some awful events at, at, at White Hart Lane. Those of us uh, most were there, some of us were watching on on, on television. Uh, Fabrice Mwamba towards the end of the first half uh, collapsing uh, onto the pitch. Um, the paramedics uh, came on um, right now, uh, according to the most recent reports that we have, and we are recording this mid-morning Monday, uh, he's in critical but stable condition at the London Chest Hospital. Uh, and it does appear as if he had a cardiac arrest and his uh, heart actually stopped for an extended period of time. Um, there's been a lot of speculation, and, and I think 
a lot of generalizations as well, people tying together different incidents and stuff, which I personally think is a little bit inappropriate when we don't actually know exactly what happened in this incident. And, but um, I, I, I'm interested in the, in, 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 in the immediate reaction. Um, I kind of think that this really resonated with with a lot of people and uh uh Tico, I, I want to start with you um you know there were the, the tweets from players and fans the the, the situation the, the reaction from the crowd um are you i mean is there a glimmer of encouragement and you know amidst this obviously the, the, this tragic event um yeah I, I, can you take I, some positives well, I, I mean, I think, I think everyone. I mean, the, the pictures of the, the spectators at, at White Hart Lane, you know, the, the, the shock and the upset on their faces, and you know, for those of us who weren't there, it was they were incredibly revealing, and you know, clearly, you know, fans quickly sense when something is, you know, I mean, you know, football, football can be an awful place where. You know, people people sing horrible songs that guys are being carried off with broken legs. That that is known in this instance. Thankfully, people realised the seriousness of it pretty quickly and um, and reacted appropriately. Um, I think there's an awful lot of of very touching words that have been written this morning about you know how football has responded and 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 recognised this you know awful situation. You know, the last thing you expect from a Incredibly fit and incredibly healthy and 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 pretty popular um, footballer, um, but but you know, will it will it change anything from next week? Um, we have to we have to sadly question that. You know, it's 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 every, everyone is united at this moment, but you know how long before um, you know we get back to horrible chance about about dead chairman that we had at Derby v Nottingham Forest. So, so Lansley, we shouldn't take this as like a civilizing moment necessarily um, for our crowds, but um, you know, perhaps simply, uh, simply accept that this was something which, for whatever reason, really resonated with with people who didn't know him, people who maybe wouldn't have cared about him um, otherwise. But we're all united in in, in the hope that that uh, that he's going to pull through this. Yeah, the, the reaction was kind of edifying to. To, uh, to witness, understand, but um, I think it probably helped that the two clubs were from opposite ends of the country. That's not too cynical because, as Dicko said, you know, Derby Forest last week, I just couldn't believe it. I mean, all of us on this podcast will have had someone close and die in the last year or two. It's, can, can, you just, can you just tell us what they were, what, what it was yeah, about? Was yeah, and Sean Barker, the Derby captain, there was a, a four-minute delay while he... Um, um, dislocated his knee and might be out for nine months and at that moment the uh, Derby fans at 74th minute so they hadn't done anything to do with the forest chairman who, who uh, the forest owner who passed away last month suddenly burst into where's your chairman gone you're going down with your chairman you got what you wanted you wanted him out and I've got friends who stand in over who sit over in that area and I just cannot believe it and after it had happened once, you thought, surely a reality check will kick in. And, you know, their mates will just have a word about dignity. But no, it went on. And um, it was absolutely disgraceful. And it does, doesn't it? And it's because the clubs are 14 miles apart and we, we see it in Leeds and Manchester and, and um, Leeds fans at Derby aren't always very nice about 
Brian Clough and things like that. So I think when there is that sort of tribal element between clubs, it brings out the very, very worst in football fans. A minority of them. I think. Yeah. I think what this did. I think what Saturday did was remind everyone that football pales into insignificance when something like this happens. When people's lives are on the line, it it really isn't as important as life or death. It it really, really isn't. And I think people snap out of what they're what they're involved in and and realise exactly what matters in life. And um, and I think that's what's brought football together. I think they they realise that they are you know they're there for, for fun for entertainment. But when something as serious as this happens, they're there. They're one. They're, they're, you know, it's but it's a cliche. It's the football family. It comes together, and and nothing really matters other than Fabrice Mwamba to them at the moment, and um, and that was wonderful to see. And and you would hope somewhere along the line that this would give people some perspective when they're, at, you know, when there's Liverpool, Manchester United fans chanting things at each other, and, and you would think it, it, somewhere along the line it would it would resonate and people would remember what's happened here. But as Dick, I said, you, you fear that it gets forgotten all too quickly. So you obviously don't buy into the whole. Tharsis argument that some people have said that when Liverpool and, and United fans, for example, chant those things at each other, and we all know what they are, it's actually just part of the spectacle. But if a bunch of Liverpool fans saw a United player or a United fan collapse in that way, they would be the first, or, or the other way around, obviously, they would be the first to actually help and, I think and show would, empathy. Uh, uh, but I, the reality is they don't think of the same way about events that happened, and tragic events that happened yeah, years ago. Yeah, th- I think you're right. If th- I think this had happened at uh, a Liverpool-Manchester United game. I think we would have seen the same reaction. I pray that we would have seen the same reaction because if we we wouldn't have done it, Did, we, we, you know, God. I mean, the Arsene Wenger charm, you know, yeah. it just, you know, you said, like, to the trouble is we, we, we just get so, you know, used to it and thick skinned to it. And then just occasionally, I'm sure we're all the same, you know, you'll be sitting there in a game and suddenly you'll actually sort of, you'll, you'll sort of come out of the moment, come out of the game and just sit there as a sort of, you know, almost a sort of alien looking looking from the outside um, and, and, and hear, you know, 30,000 people sing something about Arsene Wenger and you'll just think... Wow! What, what, you know, how, how have I been sitting there for the last three minutes, not appalled, outraged? Why am I not walking out of my seat? It's just staggering, staggeringly offensive to behold. And and say, so you know, that that's just why I, I you know, been hanging around for too long to think that um, you know, say, despite despite all the moving um, um, th- words that have been written, that that, that anything's going to change. Now, the, the, obviously, the the fans in the in, in the stadium experienced it. One way um but you know millions more majority of people um you know went through this moment via radio or or via television um what we all say it's a difficult job what to say and so on um i would never want to be in that in that position ben what, what did you make of the way it was it was covered what information to relate and it's very difficult because you, you you don't want to be intrusive you want to respect what's going on you want to be you want to keep people informed uh, to be honest I thought the way it was handled was a was a credit to the you know to the the broadcasters who were there and and to the newspaper business um, today and yesterday I think uh, I think it's been handled with sensitivity um, with emotion and uh, I, I you know I'm proud to be you know part of an industry that has dealt with this in the way it has I think Lansley do you do you, do, you, do you share Ben's pride in the way that he's covered the, this uh, this incident yeah I do it's, it's um, been quite dignified isn't it really um, and uh, and so difficult to um, to have dealt with it like that in 
you know, the amount of words Gary Jacobs had to turn over, for example, for our paper, I'm sure others are the same, over such a sensitive issue. So, um, you know, well played. Um, Dicko, this will, and then again, I mentioned before, I'm loath to bring this up because, again, uh, we don't have all the facts and, 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 you know, we have to respect that there, there, there's a there's a young man who's uh, who's, who's fighting for his life right now. But um, as, as, as we record this, but people are going to to draw parallels. We're going to talk about you know what more could have been done, what could have been done. People people don't understand how a young fit athlete can happen. I appreciate we're not doctors, we don't know what happened. But I was wondering if I just get you on this idea that stuff like this kind of reminds us of of our lack of permanence and how, you know, leaving aside whatever medical issues that there may or may not have been, you know, youth is no guarantee of, of anything really. No, no I, I thought some part of the, the coverage has been interesting this morning, just about the, you know, health screening and what, as you say, what, I mean, what more could have been done in terms of, of sort of prevention. Um, it does seem, you know, the PFA have 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 have, have done, you know, more than I'd realise actually to in terms of of ECG tests and um, and clearly, you know, the, uh, the 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 sort of on-site medical care was was it seems to have been, you know, as good as it possibly could have been. So, you know, I, clearly, yeah, everyone will um, in authority will will should and will ask questions about you know what can be learned, but um, you know in, in, certainly the sort of initial view of this seems to be in that you know everything that could have been done was done, um, and um, this really was um, just an awful, awful uh, you know unseeable. Um, uh, you know, health, health, health problem. That, 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 that uh, yeah. This was this was just a, a, a freakish occurrence. Needless to say, if uh, if you believe in a higher power, then uh, I think undoubtedly right now, um, Fabrice Mwamba and his loved ones are in uh, are in your prayers. And and if you don't, then uh, he'll still be very much in your in your thoughts. I think he's in all our thoughts. Time now for some quick hits. Now, it took him more than 24 hours, but Fernando Torres has finally scored twice, in fact, as Chelsea pummel Leicester 5-2. Um, Dico, can he be the added value for Robbie Di Matteo's uh, Chelsea in their hunt for the Champions League FA Cup and fourth place, which would be Di Matteo's personal treble, I guess? Well, exactly. AVB goes and Chelsea start winning, and even Torres starts scoring. Um, I thought he looked he looked a bit sharp when he came on the, the previous game as well. So yeah, maybe maybe somehow some little corner has been turned um, in his mind, and uh, he's feeling better about life. Um, I think we, we all want to see it because you know he has a talent, and we want to see him use that talent. Maybe uh, the simple answer is if you get uh, Swiss Italian managers with uh, advanced business degrees, then uh, things start working out, even for your star striker. Stefan Mignolet uh, brought back memories of Jim Montgomery with some of his saves in Sunderland's 1-1 draw at Everton. Uh, ben, you were there. Uh, why is this guy so inconsistent? And um, does his performance suggest Everton maybe deserves it a little more? 
I think his uh, his inconsistency is probably down to his, his age. Uh, he's only 23. He's still very much learning the game. Pulls off some fantastic saves. One minute makes mistakes the next. I think as he matures, hopefully those those mistakes will disappear and we'll just know him as the as the fantastic shot stopper that he is. Um, he he was fantastic um, and Everton probably deserved to win the game. But Sunderland, you know, they stuck in there and and, uh, and in the end probably worthy as well of of, of a replay. Swansea win 3-0 at Fulham and I think it's safe to say uh, are going to stay up. Uh, Lansley, easy question for you. Could Brendan Rodgers have done this at another club um, since he's been at other clubs and not done it? Uh, or is there something in the Swans' philosophy that really allowed him to, to flourish? There has been a, a, a certain freedom with which he's been able to go into it and of course getting up through the playoffs seems like a bonus. Um, he's made the most of everything he's bought well I think the signings of Danny Graham and uh, Michelle Vaughan have been as important as the you know, fantastic skillful midfielders he's got in the middle Ashley Williams and Stephen Cork are happy to take the ball at centre half so it keeps things moving from the back could he have done it in another club? Well, he didn't in short spells at Watford and Reading but it was always his intention he's only been a success for 18 months though let's just keep perspective on this that is a, a, a very good point. Um, like Swansea, Wigan also play pretty football, but they're just not very good. Uh, Paul Scharner, uh, who's one of my all-time favorite, not just footballers, but people in the universe, uh, and of course used to play for Wigan and is now at West Brom, um, uh, he commented after their 1-1 draw, he said that his old club are like an animal who is dying. It tries everything to stay alive, but you can see why they're bottom of the table. They can't score and they always concede. Um, do you agree with uh, uh, Herr Scharner's brutal assessment, Dicko, and what can Martinez do? And, and should we hire Paul Scharner as a columnist after he retires? I was going to say, nice, uh, nice poetic, uh, poetic reading. And, it's, um, and he wears glasses Mar- too, by the way, so he's, he's really clever. <laughs> what can Martinez do? Uh, he could ring up Randy Lerner and say, look, you know when we didn't quite sort that job out last time, any chance of um, reviving it, because you're still in a bit of trouble too. Um, he can try and hypnotize DeSanto and sort of convince him he's Pele. Um, but apart from that, um, all he can do is pray, because um, I think they've got, they're playing pretty much most of the top four in the next um, month so sadly I think they're doomed which um, is a shame because Martinez is a, is, a, is a bright manager and yeah I think he might be regretting that no to Aston Villa after all is it so do, do we blame Whelan then if it's not Martinez's fault go on blame, come on Whelan we say, can we blame Dave Whelan then please what for which for which bit for Wigan going down do you want to blame Dave Whelan can we Gab, Gab, quick hit. Do you blame Dave Whelan for going there? I'm asking you if I can. I'm asking for your permission. <laughs> you can blame me if you like. All right, there you go. Answers on Twitter. After that draw with Sunderland, uh, Davy Moyes pointed out that it has been nearly two decades since his club won a trophy and lamented the closed shop nature of the leap and the gap between the haves and the have-nots. Ben, it strikes me that a few years ago, we were all talking about this and, and tearing our hair out. I see you've already torn your uh, hair out. Thank you. Um, but now he's just sort of come to accept it. And nobody talks about this anymore. Uh, nobody talks about the disparity in wage bills and transfer budgets and whatever. I'm assuming, like, we've just moved on from this and this battle is, is lost uh, uh, forever, right? 
I think there's a certain acceptance that you know the the, the status quo is probably going to stay as it is for for some time. It's hard to see how it won't. The, the magical words "financial fair play" have been paraded as some kind of rescue package, but I can't see that changing many things. I mean, as far as it being a closed shop, you know, Birmingham won the League Cup last season. Cardiff went pretty bloody close this season. Everton have been in FA Cup final. Sorry, where the League Cup? I mean, come on. It's, yeah, well, we're talking about tr- we're talking about trophies as as a part. He was talking about trophies being a closed shop as opposed to the league title. I think the league title is a closed shop unless you're Manchester City. I think trophies you can you can get lucky and pinch one. Uh, you know, football is a closed shop. I don't see it opening anytime soon. I think the Johnson Paints Trophy is coming up. Um, <clears throat> Newcastle United win again, one nil over Norwich, and they keep their hopes for the top four intact. Uh, Lansley, what percent chance do you give them? And should we be placing Alan Pardew alongside Redknapp, Rogers, and the other familiar names as a candidate for manager of the year? Well, first of all, I would give them a, a smallish chance, a sort of 15% chance of top four, but a very good chance of Europa League qualification. They've got um, Man City, they've got Liverpool, they've got Chelsea to play. They're one of those overachieving teams at the moment, so fair play to them. As for candidates for manager of the year, definitely. I think he's done a fantastic job there, the way he's turned it about. And after all, he did a very good job at West Ham, at Reading, uh, at Southampton. He bought Ricky Lambert. So, yeah, very good contender. But he's not going to win it, is he? Because, unfortunately, a lot of people in the media don't like him, right? Is that the case? So I'm told. Gab, one for you. Real Madrid were held to a 1-1 draw by Malaga. Uh, Their lead is down to eight points with 11 games to go. Surely La Liga is in the bag for Jose, right? Uh, You would certainly think so, but there is one scenario um, where if you imagine them, you know, after they beat up Apoel, they go and they they play Bayern in some kind of epic scenario um, and it just takes everything out of them. And um, people start pointing out that in 2003 or 2004, the Real Madrid were eight points clear at the top, admittedly was 12 games to go. Um, but they lost the league. And uh, there's also the head-to-head with Barcelona that's at the camp now. So you could argue it's really five points, ten games. Can you see a couple slip-ups? Yeah. I'll say there's a 5% chance. That's all we've got time for this week. Now, remember, you can go to www.thetimes.co.uk. You'll find news. You'll find gossip. You'll find analysis. You'll find web chats. You can also follow us all on Twitter. We're all on there. Uh, so please be in touch till next time bye bye planning for your next trip elevate your travel style with quince quince has all the jet setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway like european linen premium luggage options buttery soft italian leather bags and so much more and it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com trip for free shipping and 365-day returns.